It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. What the hell is this? Uh, Ziggy Stardust? All I want to know was, uh, was he under the sheets uh, with Mickey? You know, was, uh, you know, come on, man. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Chris is looking at me like I'm speaking a foreign language. You know, Mr. Rolling Stone himself, they got in the sack. They were rolling around. Come on, Kevin, you know what that. What are you That's... talking about? You lost me, too. You don't know that... Ziggy Stardust, a.k.a. David Bowie, right. had a fling with Mick Jagger. He did? You didn't know that? Is that a thing? Oh, look at these guys. These They're all back there like, Goog- furiously oh, Googling. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It was well known. It was in the open. Hey, look, come see, come saw. Live and let live. That's the world we live in. But let's deal with the reality, not of that nonsense, because that's only the land of trendoids and jet setters. We're, we're not in that atmosphere. I know, Anthony, you're not there. We're I'm down, we're down here there. at street level. And, boy, it's pouring out there. It's a tsunami. Yeah, yeah. That's a tsunami. So just to give you a brief uh, thumbnail sketch, I had to go to a Asian-American fundraiser on the west side. Chairman Cox was there, the GOP. place was packed. It shows you the energy of the Asian community. Now, you say Asian community... It, it, are, the, are the Korean and Chinese-American yes. communities working together for Asian candidates now? Uh, mostly. Uh-huh. You know, every ethnic group has, yeah, has their, their differences, own thing, like right. Europeans, the same things. Because I remember part of the problem of getting them, getting them elected in Flushing back in the day 15 years ago was that it was a Korean-Chinese-American, you know, we, oh, no, our guy should go, no, our guy will go. Um, if if, if the, the, that community starts working together, that will be a real force. But you know whether it's whites or Hispanics or blacks, if that were the fundraiser, a day like today, you're going to have less turnout. Pack. People right. are lined up. Chairman Cox was amazed. And a lot of people coming up to me because this was the changeover in the mayoral election. I was the first candidate Republican to win the Asian vote. Then Congressman Lee Zeldin uh, continued on that, and they are really passionate. And you know that's what you need, and it's a growing block of votes. Uh, They vote, uh, they make donations, and they own homes, they have businesses. And they've had some success now. They stole that seat in in Bay Ridge. I mean, they've had some real success. Oh, you should have seen all the Asian Republican candidates were there. They're Democrats, they have their Asian candidates. It's, it's good for politics. Yeah. It's really good for politics. So I'm just feeling good. I'm leaving there. And on my way over here, I'm walking across. And I say, you know, let me go in front of the Roosevelt Hotel because, you know, they're processing the migrants. Uh, no buses were there, but they had the guardrails outside, all security. Uh, security officers recognized me. I say, can I go inside? He said, no, 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 Curtis. I said, wait, it's the Roosevelt Hotel. I just want to see what's going on. No, 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 it's a shelter now. I said, well, let me see. Uh, you know, we're paying for this. It's all city money. No, no, I'm sorry. And then they were all African-Americans. And I happen to say, you realize that all throughout this Grand Central area, there are mostly African-American men and women. Some of them have uh, emotional problems. Some of them are homeless. 
and they're not permitted to go into the World Sailor Hotel. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay, so I'm not going to bust their chops. You know, they got to earn right, their living. Right, right. It's a job. A block away right now on 40, uh, 46th between uh, Lexington and 47th, sitting in uh, the entrance to an empty storefront. Regina Smith, she has a big sign, African-American, I'm homeless in need of help. And I engage her. I actually have the video. Uh, we're going to put it up after the show because this is really good exclusive content. We're having a great conversation. Guess where she's from? Peak skill. Mm. I said, that's where George Pataki, the former governor, became mayor and then assemblyman in state senate. She goes, I know him very well. I grew up in the town. I followed him. Yeah, he was a great governor. I said, well, how come you're out here? You, it, it, didn't they offer you space over the Roosevelt Hotel? She says, no, I'm a citizen. Then towards the end of the interview, you understand why she's out there also. She's psychologically impaired. She right. says to me, Curtis, you have to help me. The FBI kidnapped my child. I need to find yeah. my child. And then right next to her is her friend ranting and raving in the downpour, screaming at the top of her lungs. Yet when I had a little conversation, I have it on film, calm down, they have the conversation, went back to screaming and yelling. Yeah. And you look at the juxtaposition, and I'm telling you, a lot of people in the city are now at their wit's end. They're saying, wait, we've done our fair share, if not more. And they're looking at the continuation of the migrants coming in. We're processing them. We're paying incredible amounts of money. And they look around, and they're not stupid. They see our own homeless. They see our own emotionally disturbed if you were the mayor right now, because you could have been, uh, if you hadn't had your personal problems, we discussed it yesterday. We substituted for Brian Kilmeade. Uh, it was a special edition of Left versus Right, and you are magnificent, Anthony. You really gave a lot of insight. But forced with this situation, assuming you had traveled the same path and now you're at the same junction, what would you do? Because I think the public's resolve is really beginning to turn against the mayor and his staff, no, staff I, for meeting and greeting I these think people. that's right. And you would have had, if you know, you would have been successful. You would have had this problem. Interesting, the story that you tell, first of all, is that, is that so many of the homeless, particularly the homeless that you confront when you see them as with your guardian angels in the subways, there is an element of, of mental illness in just about all of them. Yeah. Um, like this whole idea that this is easy, just give them a home. No, it's a, a pretty complicated thing. And frequently, it's also that they've had bad experiences in the shelter system as it stands. But there's no doubt that there is. And, and, and you know, we talked about it, and I mentioned it on the show. There have been some people who have exploited this and made up some stories like the veterans that were kicked out of their hotel. No, the, the truth is bad enough. And the truth is that because these people are getting a lot of attention, because the national TV cameras are there, because they're coming in buses and because they have advocates at their side, they are they're getting this constitutionally, when I say constitutionally, I mean New York State constitutionally required free pass into housing. One of the things that I would be doing if I was if I was Mayor Adams is I would be going back into court and saying, listen, we're compassionate. We're a compassionate city. We're a Democrat capital D and a small D city. We want we were a progressive place. But because we're spending all of this money on temporary hotel rooms for people, that's money we don't have now for real permanent housing. That's money we don't have for schools. That's money we don't have for parks. And I think you've got to go back into the court and say, we right now have a big disadvantage over Baltimore, San Francisco, and, and, and El Paso. And that is everyone knows if you come to New York, you will get housing because it's the law. It's the requirement. 
And that has to change. I'm not saying that we don't do everything we can to provide home uh, housing for the homeless, no matter whether, whether it's the law or not. I'm saying that requirement is the difference between five buses coming here or one bus going to Chicago, one bus going to Detroit, one bus going to, to St. Louis, Missouri. They're coming and, and taxpayers have every reason to be furious. But I'm going to say one other thing. We talked about this briefly yesterday. I think it's I don't mind. I don't see anything wrong with offering people a bus or a train voucher and a couple of hundred bucks to go somewhere else. If they have a contact in Chicago, buy them a bus ticket to go to Chicago. You know, you might say, oh, my God, that's so wasteful. That's so it's a liberal idea. No, it's an idea that Koch tried. It's an idea that Bloomberg tried. There's nothing. I think Giuliani even had some version of the program. We have the obligation to house these people, but they don't have that obligation somewhere else. It's worth our money to get them to go somewhere else. But if people have the homeless are frustrated, but also citizens are like, you saw the front page of the Post today, 69,000. We had 900 in one day yesterday. Yeah. I mean, and they came and they're coming through the Roosevelt Hotel. If they're not staying there permanently, that's the new processing center. I will tell you this. I shared with our audience yesterday the Ed Koch story uh, when we substituted for Brian Kilmeade. And again, Anthony Weiner, you really come into your own. You you were magnificent for two hours based on when you first started here. And we're going to I appreciate we're going to give some advice to Andrew Cuomo who's trying for a third (laughs) time, a third time. I don't know my Claiming he's gonna, he's gonna answer all the tough questions. He's gonna take calls. Didn't happen the first two times, but we'll do that in the next segment. But anyway, I told the story that Sharp James had just been elected mayor of Newark. He had been principal of Southside High School. He was a political force. Uh, he wasn't the first black mayor, but obviously he was the one who was most ostentatious, right? So it's his uh, inauguration. Ed Koch is the mayor of New York City, sends over his salutations and greetings, calls him up, says, I want to really praise you. You ran a good race, Sharp. And he goes, while I got you on the line, Ed, my people are telling me that when they went over to the Lincoln Motel, uh, they had a big picture of Abraham Lincoln, you saw it right on the expressway, that all the rooms are occupied by residents of New York City and that they got here, you, you put them on buses you gave them petty cash to pay, you know, the, uh, the housing allowance, and they're all housed there. Ed Koch said, i got to tell you, Sharp, I'll get back to you on this. <laughs> that, there's no truth to that rumor. He goes, oh, okay. So Sharp is feeling good. It's his inauguration, right? Ed Koch is praising him, the mayor of the largest city in America. It's hands across the Hudson River, the Hackensack River. A week later, he calls up Ed. All the rooms are occupied by New York City residents. They said your Department of Homeless Services paid for the the bus fare or paying the vouchers to the owners and operators of the hotel, and that this is your way of dealing with homeless people. He goes, well, you know, I got my problems, you got your problems. Look, tough noogies. Basically, you know how Koch was. Tough noogies. Sharp James was floored. But you're right. Rudy did it. Bloomberg really did it well. He would have uh, family uh, counselors contact family members if they were in Chattanooga, Tennessee, right. wherever, track them. Down. Look, your your son or your daughter, your husband, your your wife, they're really in a bad state. We'll help you get them set up there. I realize they may not be able to live in your house, your domicile, but they really want to come home. And a lot of them do, but they're not going to go home the way it used to be. And they would repatriate them at taxpayers' expense, but they would no longer be the responsibility of the New York City taxpayers. I, I endorse that. 
Uh, we want to unite families. We want to bring families also, back together. Also, listen, you know, it, it probably turns out to be financially advantageous for the city. You know, one of the things that we're seeing, if, if you start to take a look at what we're paying for these hotel rooms, these operators of these hot sheets motels and motels, they see the city coming a mile away. Suddenly their $85 room becomes a $285 room because they know it's the city and they're desperate. And the, the math is pretty simple. If we start to kind of say to people, you know, we want to help you, here's a way to help you, I think that's completely reasonable. But a lot of people don't understand why why we're doing any of this and why you don't read about these types of things in other cities. Some of it is because a lot of these people have connections to New York City because we have like a community. You know, if you want to find a Venezuelan community, you'll find one here in New York City. But I think that citizens have every right. I think they're placing the blame in the wrong place. Adams, Mayor Sliwa, Mayor Weiner, you know, all the mayors preceding, preceding um, Adams have all had to deal with this problem to some degree or another. And it comes down to that court decree, that Callahan decree, which someone has to finally stand up and say, listen, it's just we entered into it in good faith. We've lived with it with good faith for, the, for a generation now. It no longer right, fits. But notice he's using corporation counsel or lawyers that are employed by the city of New York to go battle in court in Rockland County against Ed Day, to battle against Steve Newhouse in Orange County, who has his temporary restraining order. In fact, the arguments in Rockland County to house him there will be at on May 30th and uh, uh, Orange County soon after. He's using all the legal ability of the city to fight, uh, putting them in these other communities. Look, Westchester, look, this is what I would do, right? You have George Latimer in Westchester, and uh, you know who knows him well, Kevin Drosh. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He used to be at WVOX, uh, the Shaughnessy Station. He used to interview him all the time, George Latimer, state senator. Right. And George has welcomed them. He has said, oh, we welcome them. Okay. He's welcoming them. Send them all into Westchester. But don't just send them into Yonkers or Mount Vernon. Send them into Scarsdale. Send them into Chappaqua. Send them into uh, Kevin Josh's uh, neighborhood there along the Long Island Sound. They would have a heart attack. Yeah, but just, they would have a I heart know, attack. I know. I've, I've heard all this before. By the way, if they get a chance to work, that's where they're going to be working. They're going to be cutting grass yes, uh, in, in Scarsdale. But, and you know, I'm saying if I'm Eric Adams, why battle Ed Day, former cop, He's not going to take any stuff. It's and not. It's not a bad. I don't even understand the case. I guess you made the point very well yesterday that it, if you were going to argue, you would argue that the city's establishing a New York City social service in our county. Right. But all all the the city lawyers have to say is we're renting a bunch of rooms for our friends. Right. But Anthony, why calling a day a racist and an anti semite? That that is so unnecessary. And Eric does that anytime he's criticized. You're a racist. You're an anti semite. It doesn't. It doesn't sell well with the general population. Argue the merits of the case. If you really want to send them to Rockland, which I would advise, don't knock yourself out. If George Latimer, the county executive in Westchester, is saying, "Yeah, we'll help you with that," deal with George Latimer. Yeah, a lot of the language around this has been overcharged and supercharged. You know, the people saying these are you know, the illegals and everything else. I agree. I think that what the mayor should be doing is having an honest conversation with the residents of the city and state of New York and saying, listen, we have this restriction that we're under that has been put on us by a court. Uh, If I could get out of it, here's one part of my administration is trying to get us out of it. Another part of the administration is trying to find housing for these people. And a third element of my administration is trying to find alternatives to housing. I can accept that. But he won't go into court and challenge it. He gives lip service to it. 
but he won't go into court. He's got corporation it counsel. Isn't an, it isn't an easy case. I'm not a lawyer. You know, it's not an easy case. When you have a consent decree, you have three parties. You have the Coalition for the Homeless, you have the city of New York, and then you have the judge. You more or less have to have all three parties agree to make a change in a consent decree. It basically, it's even worse than having a bad court decision because you basically have agreed to do this. It's like well, a contract. Up next, we've got to talk about the former governor, Andrew Cuomo, who is proud that we were a sanctuary state and used to call ICE in 2014 when he ran against Molinaro from Mid-Hudson for governor, who's now the congressman. Uh, he called ICE a thugs and repeated it twice in the only debate that he allowed Molinaro. And I was scratching my head as I... Ice or the thugs? How about MS-13? How about the gangbangers? How about Trinitario? He's coming back for a third bite at Red Apple Media. He's been on once before. He bombed. He was on twice. Bombed. He would never answer so the So now he's questions. turned to the media consultancy of Sliwa and Wiener to give him some advice no, on how to handle no, it. No, to you. Because you had to go through a very tortured time to get back on the air so that your word could be heard. Because there's no doubt Andrew Cuomo has a lot to share. He knows where all the yeah. bones are buried and who buried it. I don't expect him to have to expose friends or political allies, but he knows how to get stuff done. But if he doesn't acknowledge his sins, of which there are many, and he continues to do the rope though, he did it once here. He did it twice here. Each time he did it, people hated him even more. And now he's going to be on with Rita Cosby. The advertisement says Tuesday, you know, he's substituting for uh, Bo Snurdly. It's going to be Rita and Andrew Cuomo, four to five. He's going to answer all the tough questions. He's going to turn on the phones and take real phone calls because the first time right, around, right, right. they were they were Cuomo, uh, Cuomo sexuals calling, I could tell. I hate to even say this. The guy is also not very bright. When we come back, you had to go through this. Yeah. You can give him advice because you're not going to get another shot. You know, three yeah, I, strikes in your well, are. I tell you, we here at, at WABC and with our owner operator, John Katsvides, we are throwing this guy so many life rafts. Sooner or later, he has to grab one. And he got to admit at least one yep, thing. Yep, yep, you yep. can't be Trump and never say you did anything wrong. It doesn't work for Trump, although he's in a much better position than you are right now, Andrew. <laughs> And it ain't going to work for you right here in your place to be WABC. Back-to-back, belly-to-belly. You had two hours of left versus right with Brian Kilman away yesterday from 10 to 12. And now we go back to our natural spot. You had a great first hour with Anthony Weiner in the middle. And you can get all of Anthony Weiner's great podcast. Look, keys to the city. I will be the first to tell you, like the Red Chinese, I have stolen his intellectual property he is so spot on. If he had been able to continue his race against Bill de Blasio, he would have smashed him. He would have been the mayor. I would have been criticizing him on WABC morning, noon, and night. But he would have been a, a ten times better mayor than Comrade de Blasio. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. soaked here from the tip of my nose to the tip of my toes but not in as bad shape as the homeless and emotionally disturbed who uh 
under the scaffolds, the very scaffolds that you and your Keys to the City podcast have explained why so many are out there and the roots behind this. But once again, I, last night was Rita Cosby. She was on 10 to 12, and I follow from 12 to 6. And Rita's saying, yes, I have Andrew Cuomo. He's on with me Tuesday. Could you promote it, Curtis? He says this time out. He's going to answer all the tough questions. Rita was asking me about my knowledge of Cuomo, which is probably the most extensive of anyone here at right. the station, uh, and especially about the um, uh, the uh, uh, situation, the executive order that he signed with the lockdown and pandemic uh, and uh, the elderly uh, being forced into those uh, long-term uh, care units. Uh, supposedly, he's going to answer all the tough questions from Rita and the callers. And I'm saying, how many times do you give somebody a chance in the batter's box? Well, we know in baseball you get three strikes. First time on, he was with uh, John Katsimatidis. Right. It was a Friday night. I remember I was in the Queensbridge Projects. Remember, I was extricating That's cats right. who had been, uh, unfortunately, sealed into the basement. Not purposefully. But the uh, men and women there were doing their work. They realized these cats keep the rats away. So they were taking the metal barriers out, which was great to catch. And I'm listening. And all the reporters are saying, what are you listening to, Curtis? I said, I'm listening to Andrew Cuomo on WABC. And then they started listening. And at the end of it, they said, he didn't say anything. The nothing burger, yeah. Then he was given a second opportunity. And again, oh, yeah, I mean, he didn't say anything again. I don't think he understands. This, he's not imperial. He's not the governor any longer. He's not on his way to the White House. He has to resurrect himself. He's Lazarus like the dead politically. And there's nobody better at acknowledging that and understanding that than you, Anthony Weiner, when John Katzmatidis said, yeah, we're going to give Anthony Weiner an opportunity. We're going to pair him with Curtis. Uh, these are two guys who know all about the city. Anthony, from the government perspective, Curtis from the streets, they differ politically. And then he's going to do his own solo show. So if there's anybody here that can give him advice, because, look, remember, I'm going to use it in this. You had a famous situation, and this will hurt you. Shea Stadium, years ago, St. Louis Cardinals, Carlos Beltran in the batter's box, looked at a third strike. You guys were on your way to the World Series. He can't look at a third yeah. strike. He's got to apologize. If he doesn't do that... People will hate him even more. Well, here's the and your your I mean your setup is exactly right. He's on, been on a couple of times, and and you and I have talked about it because he's been given almost an open opportunity. In the first time he was on, John just let him talk. You know, John does that way of interviewing John yes. Katzpeters, who yeah. just says, "So tell us what you want to say." So <clears throat> to the extent that he had any prepared remarks, whatever, and it was as if he were still on the campaign trail. Platitudes, generalities, got to be this guy, but no acknowledgement, no mirror reflection at all. And then to make it even worse, when they opened it up to calls, they were clear. Well, I don't know what you call them. Fugazi calls. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, this is a third opportunity. But here's the here's what I've come to believe about this: is that I think that Andrew Cuomo could be amazing as a as a radio guy because he's got enormous experience. He's got attitude. He's got the New York thing and everything else. But if he thinks you can go on opinion radio and not kind of really open yourself up to the obvious questions, particularly on conservative opinion radio, about what went on, 
Dozens of women, dozens, many women have come forward saying he's done things inappropriately. People who still to this day are using words like murder to talk about the decisions were made around the nursing homes. And the, all the other reasons that led him to be something in the 40s and, and, you know, basically had to hang on for dear life when he ran for re-election the last time. But what he seems to be hell-bent on doing is none of that kind of peeling back and reflection. He seems to think that if I just lean in, act like nothing happened, then it'll be fine. The problem is listeners won't, won't hear it until they kind of have a sense that you're trustworthy again. And I say, I, from personal experience, both you, Sid, John, when I went on and did some interviews at the beginning, I mean, you guys asked me some really tough oh, questions. Sid eviscerated you. Sid was ripped about life in prison, about life as an addict, about things that had gone on in my family, about the people that I had harmed, about Huma. It wasn't easy. But I knew the only way th- the, w- the way through was straight through. Was you know, to, you was know to what Sid told things. me? I don't know if he ever confided in you. He was unending. Because he really hated you. And he goes, I saw the guy emotionally feel each and every one of my punches to the point where you were, you stopped and you were almost crying. He said, I realize this guy is serious about making a difference. Yeah. And from then on, he, he withdrew because he can be, like, overwhelmed. No, I know. And, you know, he and I, Sid and I, yes. have had similar types of things around addiction, about losing yes. jobs that we loved, about betraying our families, things like that. But, but Andrew, I don't care if he's on with Rita, with you, he's being interviewed by the Pope. He's got to show some reflection because no one truly should believe that they're infallible. And remember what Cuomo's reputation was that made him so easy for his, al- his colleagues to turn on him. He was never wrong. It was always the other guy well, that was wrong. let's see. Who does he share that with? A man that he grew up side by side with. He was in Briarwood. Uh, Trump was right there in Jamaica States. Yeah. The Trumps and the uh, Cuomo's got along. Fred supported yeah. Mario. Their families would get together for socials. Uh, Trump certainly knows uh, Andrew. But they're the same personality. They never do anything wrong. They never apologize. It's never their Because honesty is seen as weakness. Like it's seen That's as like a, a weakness. But for the most part... I think, and I can't speak for every one of our listeners, obviously, for the most part, people are willing to give you grace. Absolutely. If you could, if you stipulate, to, because no one believes that they're perfect, if you stipulate to the things that you've done wrong and you keep that note, you become more humble about it. So he has another chance. Rita's a great interviewer. I hope that, that the, the question, you know, and, and I hope we get some real callers and people get a chance to chance here. I think the, the fundamental problem, though, maybe you disagree with this, I think Andrew wants to run again. And, you know, I have said, you know, I've taken positions, you know, on things left and right that I probably wouldn't as, and I probably, I've said things more honestly than I never would have as a candidate when you're on the radio. I think it's very hard to be both an opinion radio guy and a candidate for well, office at the same time. then my advice would be if you're running for office, buy time, do commercials, do infomercials, stay off of talk radio, don't take calls. Because if you're really going to take real calls and not the fake calls he took the first time, my God, they were gushing praise. Oh, Andrew, you were the great. I'm saying this is set up calls. You can, these are people who have worked for Andrew. Come on, come on. What do you think? We're idiots here at WABC. If you're really going to do that, you start with your podcast. He has a podcast. Right. He charges people money to listen to his politics. He tries to monetize it. Nobody's going to listen. His, uh, the woman who does his podcast is on with Frank Morano at night, right? She's savaging me. 
It's like... Who is this? What? Oh, well, I forget what the hell. Kevin Joach knows what her name is. She comes on at night. I did a little parody about AOC, you know, OPP. Down, uh, down with AOC. Right, right. It was really good. Even Frank Moran said, this is really good. She said, I'm in a, I'm outraged at it. It's like, lady, you got job security. Don't worry. <laughs> Get your boss to do a decent podcast because there he's not taking any calls. He can spew whatever he wants. He's doing straight to camera with a blue suit and a red tie. And there you know. is absolutely no humility whatsoever. You look at those podcasts, you would think, my God, people are going to pay to hear him pontificate and think that they're all schmucks, they're putzes, they're stupid. And, Anthony, let's be honest, uh, Republicans and Democrats, and I've been with enough of them, you know that. Many of them think people are stupid. And I gotta remember what happened five seconds ago, five days ago, five weeks ago, five months ago, five years ago, and just just push on. You can't. He can't. He's got too much of a history. Right. And something else he has to realize: being honest is a service. Right. If you want to really continue to serve, saying here's what I decided to do at the nursing home situation. Here's why I did it. Here's a mistake that I made. Here's a miscalculation I made. As it relates to these women. You know, this whole idea of, like, sending out his attack dogs to just, you know, attack them and say that they're not credible. And I once again, I've been absolved of all of this. I don't think that's the way to do it. If he really wants to be of service is, is to say, listen, I was dealing with difficult things. I made these mistakes. Here's, how, here's what I've learned from it. Here's the things that I would do differently. If I'm Rita, I say, can you give me five things right now you would have done differently in your last exactly. year in office? And I mean, then- you know. I would start with the thing that nobody accepts, even the homosexuals. You wrote a book in the middle of the lockdown and pandemic. You made $5 million. You didn't sell anywhere near books at that rate to earn $5 million. You used your staff to write the book. You said, oh, they volunteered. Come on. Nobody had any time during the lockdown and pandemic. You remember what it was like. Even for de Blasio, he had to work harder than he ever worked in his life. Everybody did. It was all, all hands on deck. We were talking about digging trenches in Central Park and Prospect Park and burying bodies. There was no time. Nobody had leisure time to write a book. Who cares? He's got to answer that question. Well, you know, but, but the way to, to – and if I were Rita, again, she does a great job. I would say, what does that say about your personality and the way you view the world to think that writing a book – with the help of staff, in the middle of that, what does that say about the priorities that you have in terms of promoting yourself and this notion of you as this big deal? You were already getting plenty of what we call in, in, in Yiddish COVID. You were already getting plenty of honor for the way you were dealing. Why did you need – why did you feel the need to go out and try to monetize it for yourself? Like, What does that say? Is that something you would have done if you had to do it again? And let's see – I mean – all we're really looking for is to say, listen, here are the few mis- here are the mistakes I made. I thought it was a good – he can still say I'm a good governor. He can still say sure, I thought – sure. so, look, I say all the time, I accept full responsibility for what I did, but I still think I shouldn't have been sent to prison for that. But th- that's quite different than saying I didn't do anything wrong or they're all out to get me or all these other and, things. And I want to advise all of these Republicans and Democrats, you become mayor, that's it. It's the end of the line. You become governor, it's the end of the line. Look at George Pataki. Was there a nicer guy in the world? Yeah. What do you get? One percent of the vote anyway. It's over. It's over, Andrew Cuomo. You ain't going nowhere politically. I tell that to everybody here has been going, given a second chance. I say, you want to talk like a politician with a seven-second sound delay, you will bomb out and talk radio. 
You're not going back to your career, your side hustle, whether it was TV, whatever. It's over. Either focus on talk radio and being a good talk radio show host or stay out of here. Buy commercials, buy infomercials, try to bamboozle the public, think they're all stupid, they'll never remember. And guess what? When you run for office, you're going to get knocked on your tuchus, a.k.a. Elliot Spitzer. Oh, I got all the money in the world. I'm ahead of... Who is that? The borough president of Manhattan, your very dear friend who's at his own club. Scott Stringer. And Scott Stringer with nowhere near the money. Kicked him in his political ass. And you haven't heard from Spitzer since. It's over, Andrew. You got no future politically. If you're going to get into the bullpen with us here in talk radio, you got to act like you're a talk radio show host, not like a politician in waiting. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Class attention. Forward march. Oh, I'd love to be an Oscar Mayer Wiener. That is what I truly like to be. Because if I were an Oscar Mayer Wiener, everyone would be in love with me. A big parade is so inspiring. Oh, I'm glad I'm not an Oscar Mayer Wiener. Oh, you must have been tortured as a youngster growing up in Brooklyn because that was a commercial that resonated in our ears morning, noon, and night because it had such a good jingle, whether on WABC, whether on TV. The only other one was, Oh, Park Sausages, Mom, please. I tell you, they're, they're, I'm trying to think. You know, when your name's Wiener, you get a lot of stuff growing up. But Oscar Mayer, with that Oscar Mayer Wiener jingle, if I heard it sung jeered at me 500 times. I would not be an exaggeration. And even adults nowadays. Um, well, let me tell you, it was such a handicap that a former radio talk show host grew up in Jamaica, went to Jamaica High School, Queens College. His name was Michael Weiner. He was getting hammered in high school, hammered at Queens College, hammered when he moved to the West Coast to Berserkly. And he decided to change it to Michael Savage and be tough and rough, right? He now does a podcast like everybody else. It's quite, Bob, it's quite the opposite. I was telling the story, you know, Jordan, he's now in a travel hockey team. So he put your name on the jersey. He's number 21. And he said, Dad, do you mind if I just put my first name? I was like, man, that's not the way it goes, buddy. You put your last name. And, and I said, okay, let's hear it. He says, well, sometimes people give me a hard time about my name. And I explained to him that this is, I believe that one of the reasons I'm so thick-skinned, something that endured with me and helped me get through some very rough times, is that kind of a thing. And then when I ran for city council in 1991 and I ran for Congress in 98 and I ran for mayor in 2005 and again in 2013, more people asked me about the Anthony than about the Wiener because there are probably more Wieners in the Brooklyn phone book than there are. What is the origin of Wiener? Because I've explained the origin of Frank Morano Morano. They were in Spain during the Spanish Inquisition. And Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand, who sent Columbus to discover the New World in what they thought was the wrong direction, but they figured he's Italian, you know. <laughs> okay, we lose some money on this, you know. It's a, but we lose an Italian. We're not losing a Spaniard. They decided that's it. Uh, it's either convert or die to all the Jews. Uh, off yeah. with your head. So I you had three I Jews. wasn't expecting the Spanish Inquisition. Three, three Jews. Some fled to Poland, where they became tax collectors for the Polish princes. 
Others refused to convert to the Roman Catholic faith, and they were beheaded viciously. And then there were those who had the sword pointed at their throat, like Frank Morano's family, and they became Moranos. That means instant conversions. That's what the term means, Morano. You can trace it back. Where do you trace Wiener back? How did that name come about? Well, the first Wiener that came here to the United States in the in late 1890s is Wolf Wiener. Um, now, see, that's tough. That was, I, listen, I had this long conversation with Huma. I wanted to name Jordan Wolf. But she pointed out, you better be really tough if your name's going to be Wolf wait, Wiener. Wait, you know Nancy's name, my wife's name. Her nickname is Lone Wolf One. No kidding. Yes. See, now that's not – now, but but the most the, the most logical explanation is their family was from Vienna. Now, we spell it E-I-N-E-R. A lot of people spell it I-E. I think they're right. It's Vienna, V-I-E. If you go to Vienna, it's Wiener everything. It's Wiener this, Wiener that. So that's probably so – it's like Wiener schnitzel. Uh, probably from the same place. I'm, I, I imagine Wiener Schnitzels are ultimately from Vienna, some p- point uh, back there. But that—that's—that's that's the most logical explanation about where so the, where the Wiener comes from. So when you're a kid, you're in Brooklyn. I mean, we were vicious oh, towards boy. one oh, another. Boy. Yeah, you're Wiener. You're playing stickball, which you did. You're running Amateur. the streets. You're going to school. You went to Brooklyn Tech. You're part of the alumni with John Katzmatidis and other prominent uh, yeah. New Yorkers and Americans. They had to be hammer time. Hammer time. But I got it. But no kidding. It makes you tougher. Like you become, you know, you get you have a few scraps over it. You learn not to, to ignore it. And then I, I think you'll agree as a politician, having a name like that, like when I had this big banner that I would go in parades with. You've probably seen it. Oh, yeah. Just wiener with an exclamation point. Yes. Can you imagine me at the gay pride parade? I mean, it was, you know, being, oh, my God, <laughs> being weird. They, they were like, yeah. And, 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 and I'm not kidding. When I ran in, in places like Howard Beach and, and Ozone Park and old Howard Beach, and they'd say to me, what's with the Anthony? We're going to call you Tony. And I Anthony. didn't correct them. Anthony. Exactly. I didn't correct them. I don't have any Italian blood in me. I'm named for my great grandmother, Anna, who was British. Um, and look, I mean, if I was named Anthony Weiner in some other part of the country, it would have been a real liability, maybe. But I got. But now, now you have to admit, you're you're a, an expert at branding. Wienermobile to Frankmobile? No, it just loses the mojo. No, you you don't go from Anthony Weiner, former congressman, now talk show host here at WABC, former city councilman, leader of the progressive wing of the House. Now you would be considered a blue dog Democrat. Yeah, I'd get kicked out. <laughs> I'd get kicked out. To a Frank Morano, Mama Luke. A Frank. Christ. Yeah. I mean, I competed in the um, Oscar Mayer Hot Dog Eating Championship. They had it outside of Madison Square Garden. I had just finished third place in the annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. On July 4th. Was this before they had the dunking strategy of dunking no, the buns? No, no, I never dunked. Uh-huh. But I guess that's why I lost. <laughs> but they dunk, and you could do anything. The rules were the same. But you see, whereas here you have all these ethnic brands of hot dogs, in the heartland of America, where my father grew up in Chicago, there was one hot dog, one hot dog alone. Unless you were German and they had their own ethnic brand. It was Oscar Mayer. No, no ballpark franks. I know that was no ballpark franks. No, no, no. They, they, they plump when you cook them. No, no, no. It was. I mean, you had the Wienermobile. I actually rode the Wienermobile. It's a huge hot dog. It's up right. and down. I was right in the middle. They drove me all over New York City. They're all from Wisconsin, the heartland. And I finished second. 
And everybody was stunned because the What do you mean? Oh, you drove it in a race? No, 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 no. They drove drove it throughout the streets. They were promoting, you know, Uh Ashkamaya, not a not a big brand here in New York City. And we were going and they had me up there with my red beret eating uh, the, the, the wieners right there, Oscar Mayer wieners. I had finished, just finished second place in the contest outside of Madison Square Garden. They knew some of my family members from Wisconsin because they had come up from Chicago. They were dairy farmers. That's what they were in Limanova, near the Czechoslovakian border in the Highlands. In fact, my grandfather's name was Anton, which is Antony in Polish. That's my uh, Anthony's middle name. Right. I mean, so you say to yourself, Man, this is where it's all at. It's a hot dog. And now that the campaign is fully underway, every Republican who ever wanted to run for president, it's now or never as Trump is pulling away from the pack. And in almost quick order, Scott from South Carolina in. Chris Christie definitely in within about a week. DeSantis definitely in without a big, uh, week. If you get in after that, you're dead on arrival. Why do you think there's such a race in this next week to get in, to make it and break it, and then to get on the circuit where you're going to have to be eating, at times, Oscar Mayer hot dogs in the heartland of America? Well, there's some things about the calendar. Like, we are now one year out from all the big primaries. Um, You want to wait for a little while so that you have a good, impressive fundraising number to put on. But I want to just caution you that there are a lot of folks who are in this race because they're running for vice president. You'll, you'll know that, that that there's two. There's a senator from South Carolina, Scott, a, go, a former governor from South Carolina, Nikki Haley. South Carolina is an early primary state. Those two are running, in my view, they're running for vice president. That's why I think you'll probably see them be low to say anything critical of the other of the other candidates. Another way to, to think about this is that there's probably a handful of people, probably Chris Christie's one of them, who is playing the long con that maybe Donald Trump doesn't make it to the starting line. And then the race is a DeSantis versus somebody, and it figures I'll be the somebody. I'll be the Trump figure in the race. But I got, they're all whistling past the graveyard. This is Donald Trump. Donald Trump is, is, is going, with all of his legal problems, he has never, he's going up and up and up. He goes on CNN with, you know, and fibs 50 times to Thursday. It doesn't matter. He keeps going up. Every time someone like me attacks him, he goes up. Every time he has a legal problem and can say they're out to get me, it rallies his base so I think that you're basically at this moment now that people are getting in for different reasons. But if 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 I had a if I had a bet, bet the ranch on it, I would say that he, uh, Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. We know the role of Chris Christie. He doesn't have a chance to win the nomination. He's made too many enemies. But he's a political hitman. Look at what he did to little Marco Rubio on the stage in New Hampshire. He eviscerated him. The only one who I could ever said did a better job at slicing and dicing anyone, was Elizabeth Warren with Michael Bloomberg. Not once, but twice. And for a billion dollars, this guy who thought that everyone had a price, you know what he got for a billion dollars? America Samoa. Yeah, one delegate. Elizabeth Warren, it was like Kill Bill, you know, with the samurai. She sliced him and diced him. You would have thought, hey, get ready the next time, because all the other Democrats just moved out of her way. They knew she was the designated hitman. And she's the only one that could have knocked Michael Bloomberg and his billions out, and she did it magnificently. He's never been the same. And that's sense. what Chris see. Christie, I think, looks at Donald Trump and says, "I should have, I could have been that guy," because yes. he has the same kind of mo of like saying sassy things and not caring what people and being a prosecutor kind of guy. I, I don't, I, I don't see what Christie's rationale is if Trump's in the race. 
And by the way, I think you, I think Trump's going to have the long knives out for Christie anyway. I don't think he has to attack him very much, but he, I think he, he, he feels betrayed by Christie since Christie's going on main, Look, you know, media and, Trump and criticizing Trump feels him. betrayed by everybody. Is yeah, there a person right. out there that hasn't betrayed <laughs> Donald Trump? Doesn't matter. His generals, you know, his aide de camps, everybody who's ever worked for him almost, they're all traitors. Trump is right. The rest of them are all wrong. But let's face it. You're Christie. You can't win. But you, in a debate with Trump, can do damage because you can get under his skin. You'll take the heat because you know you're not going on to be vice president like he thought he was, remember, when Romney ran. Remember, he was on the cusp of getting the nomination. All the hog farmers in Iowa came to Trump Thwacket where he was living with his wife at that time. It looks like olive oil compared to him, right? Mm -hmm. And they appealed to him. They said, we'll back you. You won't have to drink ethanol, which was the rite of passage. You won't have to come there and eat ham hocks, although he said, that's one of the reasons I want to be in the caucus. <laughs> and they said, we will bankroll you. You will win Iowa, and you will go on to win. This is before Trump. Remember, he had the town hall meetings. He would take on people in the audience. He would jump down into the audience. People love that. And you know what he told the Iowa farmers? No. In the back of his mind, he thought that Romney would pick him for vice president. Once again, wrong. He picked Badger Boy Ryan. And so then he gets on board with Trump. He's out there. He's, you know, promoting Trump. He's thinking, man, I could either be chief of staff or I could be vice president with Donald Trump. He looks at Christie. Thank you, but you're not out of central casting. Right. He goes with the other Badger Boy, rinse out Priebus. A real putz, you know, as his first chief of staff. And then, so here it is, Christie thinks, I'm the vice president, right? Hey, you're great, Christie. We've grown up together. We love one another. And then he looks at Mike Pence, and he goes right out of central casting. He looks like a vice president. Christie does not. And he was on the outside looking in. And then I think he also said, will you at least give me attorney general? Yep. And he says, no, I won't give you that either. Uh, well, remember, because Jeff Sessions was the first U.S. Senator Republican to break for Trump. Right. Remember, and he did it in a very novel way. They were in the Iron Bowl in Birmingham. This is where the classic Auburn, Alabama yeah, football yeah. came. There were 38,000 Trumpers in the stands, make America great with the hats. And remember, the Trump airplanes flying around the yeah, stadium. Yeah, yeah. All the networks were there. Trump hadn't alienated them. He lands. He comes over. And what did Jeff Sessions do? He pulls out the baseball cap, make America great again, puts it on. I'm endorsing Donald Trump. Right there he became the future uh, attorney general. The deal was made. And Christie was like, strike one, strike two, strike three. I'll get you, but, my little and, and, and our listeners might forget, Chris Christie was at such a point that he was put in charge of the transition. Yes. Now, as it turned out, Trump ignored everything that he did. That's usually... That's the place where they, at the end of the conversation, they said, all right, what do you want? Because you get anything you want, the head of the transition. Dick Cheney, remember. Exactly. But what about, here's another theory about what Christie's going to do. Christie's going to go in and tear apart DeSantis. Oh, so you think? Like, as a way to get back into Trump's orbit and the way to be considered for something, like Attorney General or something like that, he's going to go on stage and he's going to be the anti-DeSantis. Well, remember, it was his selection who is now the FBI director. Remember, Trump, he, he blames, oh, they're no good. They're not. Well, what are you taking advice from Christie for? The FBI director yeah. was his personal was his guy. It was his guy, yeah. Right, in, in the whole debacle over the George Washington Bridge in Bridgegate. And then finally, 
finally you have Chris Christie here. That may be the idea. He becomes the hitman for Christie. I have never seen any candidate who hadn't announced be beaten up as much as DeSantis. Every second ad is yeah. attacking DeSantis. You would think it's Democrats, right? It's Trumpers. Yeah. I mean, sure, the most- Trump, Trump is Trump is following this old adage in politics, which is define your opponent before they have a chance to define themselves. They are kidding. And I don't watch a lot of Fox News. I see it a lot because it's on the, 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 the monitors here in the station. Every ad is like a, a killer ad against DeSantis. DeSantis, he's going to take away your Medicare. He's going to take away your Social Security. I'm saying to myself, this is what the Democrats have always run against Republicans and it is now the Donald Trump strategy, although he says, it's a pact. I have no control over that. It's a pact. Tonight, come on, 12 midnight, I'm going to discuss the Roosevelt Hotel with audio no one has up next, Rob Astorino.